Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Last time, we talked about the NFL product being in danger of becoming less watchable after Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees went down. Shame on me for thinking about that. Young quarterbacks have been more than up to the task the past few weeks, including Daniel Jones, who went off in his NFL debut exactly as you had predicted, Hal Bent. Indeed, Danny Dimes was dropping him left and right. Oh, I, I don't like to call him Danny Dimes. Uh, as my man Sigmund Bloom of Football Guys at Cobb said, call him Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, Steely Dad is obviously one of my favorite rock bands of all time, and uh, I can't think of a more fitting nickname for Daniel Jones as he begins his NFL uh, career. And uh, before we get into our quarter poll awards, uh, let's talk about our takeaways from week four, and I will go first. So much for the regression of the Bears' defense, they absolutely neutralized Dalvin Cook, easily the NFL's most dynamic running back through the first three weeks of the season, and they did it minus Akeem Hicks and minus Roquan Smith. And moreover, Chuck Pagano helped get career days out of their respective replacements and Nick Williams, who has four sacks, and Nick Kwiatkowski, who was just a monster up the middle against the run, and Blitzy Kirk Cousins all day long. That was an impressive performance indeed, David. No doubt about it. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. And they were joking when they say that they said they wanted to be the best defense of all time in the offseason. They appear to be taking it seriously so far. They certainly do, David. And and one of my takeaways, um, I had to be, I, I know this hurts you with your closeness to Denver Broncos, but Shaquille Barrett to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What, nine sacks now in four games, including the, the strip sack to cement the victory against the Rams? What is going on? Where has he come from? What was he doing in Denver all these years? He was learning from Von Miller, Demarcus Ware, and Bradley Chubb. I'll be only one year with Chubb, but uh, that was last year. But I am so glad to see uh, Shaq do it well, and he wanted to go somewhere where, where he had a clear chance to start, and Tampa was the place. I am so happy for him and glad that he is about to get paid a uh, big time. And I had another major takeaway. 2019 has not been kind to the blue-chip prospects of the 2018 NFL draft. You got Saquon Barkley out for at least uh, five or six more weeks with a high ankle sprain. Denzel Ward battling a hamstring issue. Bradley Chubb, obviously, with the toward ACL. And Roquan Smith, and it was reported just this morning, he will be away from the Bears indefinitely due to a mysterious personal reason. And Josh Rosen, obviously, set up to fail again. Exactly. And, and you're looking at that... Um... You know, is it a sophomore jinx? What What's going on here? It's, you know, we're looking at it now and we're saying Quentin Nelson is uh, the only one who seems to be carrying his weight this year. Oh, totally. Hopefully the sophomore jinx does not hit him or any of the others uh, that badly going forward. And now it's time for our quarter poll awards. And let's start with the MVP. I just can't go against Patrick Mahomes. As you said, he is even better than he was last year when he had another MVP season, and he just appears to be uh, inserting himself into the conversation for the greatest quarterback of all time. Without a doubt. You know, uh, what one thing that great quarterbacks do is as the weapons around them decrease, they bring those replacements up to their level and up their game, and that's what we've seen out of Mahomes this year. Last year, it seemed like it was all about the weapons around him, 
elevating him. And this year, he is elevating every player on that side of the offense. Uh, the only thing that you could ask more of Mahomes is, you know, hey, can you play cornerback as well? <laughs> you said it. Is he your MVP as well, Hal, through the first quarter of the season? Without a, without a doubt, hands down, it's him and then everybody else. Yep, without him, the Chiefs would probably be an 8-8 eight and eight team right now, and that's uh, not a joke. And for Offensive Player of the Year, this was very tough, but I decided to go with the league's leading rusher after the first quarter of the season, Christian McCaffrey. And Christian McCaffrey made some history on Sunday, joining uh, Jim Brown in uh, a statistical company where only he and Jim Brown exist. Excellent, excellent point. You know, I I was looking up until this last, for the first three weeks of the season, I might have put Dak Prescott out there as that offensive player. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's a tough, uh, call to, to go outside of, you know, that running back position or saying outside of Patrick Mahomes himself, it's hard to find another offensive player. You're looking at Mahomes, Christian Caffrey, and very quietly Keenan Allen having another fantastic season for the Chargers as well. Just to be different, I'll go with Keenan Allen right now. Oh, not a bad choice. Keenan Allen, one of the best route-running mavens we've ever seen play the wide receiver position, dare I say. And uh, if he continues to keep this up for another uh, six, seven, eight more years, he could uh, be uh, challenging for a busted Canton one day. So Keenan Allen is Hale's Offensive Player of the Year at the quarter pole. Mine is Christian McCaffrey. And Defensive Player of the Year, got to go with my man Shaq Barrett, as you alluded to early on. Um, he has just uh, apparently come out of nowhere, but I, I saw his promise with the Broncos even during that Super Bowl season 2015 where he made some big plays for them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he's been opening eyes everywhere. If you were going to go with a, a dark horse on uh, that as well, I'd say look at that New England defense. You've got Devin McCourty, four interceptions in four games, and Jamie Collins back from Cleveland and just doing simply everything on that defense, interceptions, passes defended, sacks, um, forced fumble. He's all over the place on defense. He looks like an entirely different player. So a couple of those uh, to throw out there, but I would definitely say it's Shaq Barrett leading the running right now for defensive player of the year. And to go back to a second to Christian McCaffrey, uh, McCaffrey, after registering 179 scrimmage yards and a rushing touchdown uh, in Sunday's win over the uh, Houston Texans, Christian McCaffrey and Jim Brown are now the only players in NFL history with three games of at least 175 scrimmage yards and one touchdown in their team's first four games of a season. And that is some special company indeed. Offensive Rookie of the Year, I was originally thinking Terry McLaurin until the Fu himself said, not so fast on Sunday, delivering an amazing come-from-behind effort against my Broncos. Yeah, it hurt, but it was just amazing to watch him manipulate the pocket, especially on that first drive of the third quarter. Gardner Minshew, Nick Foles, you better be sweating in your sleep a lot, man. I think your job is about to be taken away. So the Fu Minshew, Gardner Minshew, is my Offensive Rookie of the Year at the quarter pole. Yeah, it, it, as far as, you know, excitement, W's, uh, you know, I mean, He's doing everything, and the best part is the, you know, coming out of nowhere and doing everything there. Um, I'm going to go with 
Daniel Jones, uh, just because I, I want to use that Steely Dan reference here, and he should have started those first two games anyways. And by the end of the season, uh, I think he'll be the uh, offensive rookie of the year here. So I'm going to put him in the lead at the quarter poll. Not a bad choice, said Steely Dan and the Fu Manchu. We look forward to seeing more of your continued development as the year rolls on. Defensive rookie of the year, this was a tough one, but even though he only has one sack, sacks can be a very misleading statistic. He has consistently dominated his opponent in every game, and he is just making life miserable on opposing offensive lines, forcing them to take him out of the game and freeing up his two other teammates on that very talented defensive line in San Francisco. I am going with Nick Bosa as my defensive rookie of the year at the quarter pole. Bosa has been hugely instrumental to the 49ers 3-0 start. And I'm going to stay on the, for my defensive player of the year, I'm going to stay in the pass rushing group, but I'm looking at this Florida State phenom who's looking like he should have been a top 10 pick, and that's Brian Burns for Carolina. He is, it, that's a crowded position there at Carolina, and he is forcing his way into the lineup and leading all rookies with two and a half sacks so far through, oh, no. I'm sorry, he's second to New England's Chase Winovich with three sacks, but I'm going to give the edge to Burns here right now as the uh, because he's a do-everything uh, defensive end and is rushing the passer, helping out in the running game right now and making a huge impact for Carolina. For a guy that dropped down to 16, um, that's an impressive job there for Brian Burns. Yes, I'm, I still don't get why the Raiders took Cleveland Farrell over him Ed Oliver and Josh Allen at four overall. I still don't get it, man. It's just puzzling. And for comeback, go ahead. Oh, com- completely puzzling. I mean, it, it, it's it's shocking when I look at it and you say, you know, you're also looking at them passing on T.J. Hawkinson, who's showing a lot of promise for Detroit as well. Um, it, there's just so much depth at that defensive end, defensive tackle, those two positions in this draft, and the Raiders picking at four. If you're picking Farrell, trade down and get some more picks. I think we said that at the time. You know, it, it just didn't make sense to, to jump at four, and it seems through four games, it's looking like they did not make the right decision. Yes, yeah, so and now moving on to our comeback player of the year. Uh, this one was very hard since we didn't have that many notable players coming back from injury like we did last year. But I think I'm going to go with Dalvin Cook, despite that uh, no-show in Chicago due to that excellent game plan by the Bears defense. Dalvin Cook is finally looking like the player we expected him to be coming out of college. And not only did he tear his ACL his rookie year, he missed virtually half the season last year with, with a hamstring injury. He is finally showing us the Dalvin Cook that we expected him to be and uh, coming off of two um, one loss season and one half a loss season that is it's remarkable to see what he's doing now got to go with Dalvin Cook for my comeback player of the year easily I mean as as far as impact uh, uh, to the team I think you could throw Cooper Cup in there the way that he changes that Rams offense just being that consistent threat and you can see the difference when he's in the lineup and when he's not in the lineup but it's for Dalvin Cook I mean he's been the entire offense in Minnesota uh, with Kirk Cousins flaming out here in year two so far so um, Cook only McCaffrey has more yards from scrimmage than he does I think it's a slam dunk I'm with you on this one David Dalvin Cook 
And let's move on to coach of the year at the quarter poll. And I was choosing between this guy and Sean McDermott. But Buffalo, I kind of expected to have some sort of a breakout this year with that amazing defense at year two of Josh Allen. But Matt Patricia, everybody was picking the Lions to finish last place in the NFC North. And a lot of people were saying, oh, this team is going to suck so badly this year. They're going to blow it up and start all over again uh, for 2020. Not even close. Matt Patricia, like the Lions were a tie away from being 3-0 last week and took Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs down to the final minute and arguably should have won that game if it weren't for a fumble at the goal line by Kerryon Johnson that was returned all the way for a touchdown by Bashad Breeland. But Matt Patricia, he seems to have finally gotten the players he needs to buy into the system there. And the Lions turning into Patriots Midwest overnight. He, uh, I think he's built a quietly dangerous team there in Detroit. So Matt Patricia, coach of the year at the quarter pole. I, I find it very hard to argue with that choice as well. Um, I'm going to go back to Tampa Bay and the return of Bruce Arians. Uh, they're only two and two, but for Tampa Bay, that's fantastic. They're beating the Rams. They should have beaten the Giants. They should be sitting at three and one right now. Um, this team is an, uh, uh, getting the offense back on track, even with Jameis Winston at quarterback. You're seeing a running game in Tampa Bay, things that we never thought we'd see again for a long time. So I'm going with the the genius of Bruce Arians as uh, coach of the year here at the quarter pole. Not a bad choice. And speaking of Tampa Bay, that takes us to our final quarter pole award, assistant coach of the year. I got to go with Todd Bowles. Uh, Todd Bowles might not have been a good head coach with the Jets, but he is a fantastic defensive coordinator, as he showed you under Bruce Arians in Arizona. And he's working amazing magic under Bruce Arians in Tampa again. Just just look at what he's done. That Buccaneers defense, it was absolutely atrocious last year, especially against the pass. And when Jason Pierre-Paul went out, I was like, oh my God, how are they going to be able to get the quarterback? Here comes Shaq Barrett, but it's not just Shaq Barrett. Vita Vea is showing you why the Buccaneers took him at 12 overall over Derwin James. He has had a monstrous impact in the middle of that defense. He is a mountain of a man and so difficult to block. He eats up blockers, freeing up those guys on the edges. And what's even scarier, I don't think we've seen the best of this defense yet because Devin White hasn't been healthy yet. But when Devin White returns, look out. This defense could make a lot of noise and go gangbusters. Uh, is a great, great pick there. and You you know I'm loving that with the Tampa Bay. I'm all on board there as well. Um, I'm going to go to a different day for my uh, assistant coach of the year, and but I'm going to stay on the defensive side, and that's defensive coordinator Mike Pettin in Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay's defense has been carrying Aaron Rodgers so far this season. Uh, they've been fantastic, and even last week, Losing to the Eagles on Thursday night, they still held the Eagles to under 350 yards of offense. They haven't given up over 223 yards of passing offense so far this year. Mike Pettin has turned that Green Bay defense around this year, and that is a force to be reckoned with in that conference there that already has the Bears and their top defense in there. So Mike Patton, he's been doing it a long time, and you see why he's been doing that a long time with the way that he's got this Green Bay defense going here so far in 2019. And now let's play our favorite game. It's called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, I read a statement, and Hal, you tell me whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. And we start with this. Both. 
the Miami Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos will finish the 2019 season with an 0-16 record. Oh, that's going to be an exaggeration there, David. Uh, the Broncos are going to get a couple wins here. Um, sort of, you know, <laughs> Joe Flacco uh, being benched or something and, and pulling guys off the street to play quarterback. Uh, they, they've got a couple wins in there in Denver. Miami, I truly think that team has a chance of going 0-16, but uh, I see the Broncos um, – there's, there's too many talented players on both sides of the ball right now. You're going to see Emmanuel Sanders, Philip Lindsay. They're going to will this team to a couple of wins here. Von Miller, Chubb, there's just too much talent there. Uh, but Bradley Chubb's out for the year with the toward ACL. Oh, well, yes, he is, but uh, I forgot about that. Jeez, ugh, that's too bad. But, again, still too much talent. You can get into that secondary with Chris Harris as well and uh, – you know, Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, too much talent. Too much talent for an 0-16. and 12 I'll buy. 0-16 in Denver, no way. Now we go to Jacksonville, where Jaguars offensive coordinator John DiFilippo will be a head coach in 2020. Ah, that is, that's close to a truth. <laughs> You know what? I, I, I think you're right. Yes, I'm going to say, yes, that is a truth, uh, not an exaggeration. Um, Filippo, I mean, he burst onto the scene there previously um, in Philadelphia, struggled again um, as well, you know, transitioning uh, to Minnesota last year, but now with him gone, I think Minnesota would welcome him back for all their troubles last year on offense and getting the production out of Minshew, getting the production again out of Fournette, who had a fantastic game last year at 41. I think Flip is right back into the conversation as a potential head coach, so I'm going with the truth on that. Now we stay in Florida, but we go to Tampa, where Jameis Winston will sign the next biggest NFL quarterback contract sometime this season, if he keeps playing the way he has the past two weeks. Uh, it's a truth, because, you know, if you're going to re-sign him, if the quarterback price just keeps going up with every signing. So that's the way it's trending. There's no reason to expect that to trend down. And if he keeps that strong play... Um, that they're going to have to. He's reborn under Bruce Arians there. Um, every stat is up across the line for him. He's he's looked like a different player. I'm going to go with a full truth on that one. And now we go to Minnesota, where the Vikings should fire both Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman if they fail to make the playoffs this season. Oh, you know... I'm one of the biggest Mike Zimmer fans out there. Uh, I love that, you know, that hard-nosed attitude that he brings as a coach. No nonsense. Holds his players accountable. Uh, great defensive mind as well. But at the same time, we're looking at year six of Zimmer, and you're looking at a lost opportunities for this team. And they've had the talent. Um 
you know, obviously 2017, the way that ended against Philadelphia in the NFC Championship game, not making it back last year and struggling again this year, I think his time might be up. I think it it, it is a truth that that he and, you know, Spielman in the front office as well could both be on their way out in a rebuild in for Minnesota um, as they try to get ready to, if this doesn't work, I mean, how do you go back to what hasn't been working? So as big of a fan I am of Mike Zimmer and want him to stay and succeed in Minnesota, if they don't make the playoffs, he's going to be on a very short leash, and Ziggy Wilk may be looking to uh, move on from that group of Spielman and Zimmer in 2020. That is a real possibility at the moment. And we go to Atlanta, where Falcons head coach Dan Quinn's seat is now red hot, maybe even white hot. Truth or exaggeration? Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, uh, there's expectations for this team, you know. I mean, after, you know, they made it to the Super Bowl, you saw that that offense, uh, how good they could be that season, and the expectation is, you don't have a lot of years left of Matt Ryan in his prime. He's 34 years old this year. Julio Jones is 30 years old this year. This team is ready to win now or else. And if they're not winning now, they may be moving on from Dan Quinn and get somebody in there. Um, you know, again, get that offensive genius. Um, you may see flip over here. That could be the landing spot for him. So, I'd say definitely a truth that red hot seat for Dan Quinn is definitely there. It most certainly is. And now we preview our game of the week as the Green Bay Packers travel to Jerry World to take on the Cowboys. And the Packers are going to be without a very important player this game as Devontae Adams is unlikely to play this game with a toe injury. With that said, which Packers pass catcher needs to step up the most for the Packers to pull off an upset this Sunday in Big D? You know, I, I'm i going to throw it out here because, you know, I keep waiting for him to make an impact in Green Bay, and that's Jimmy Graham at tight end. Uh, Jimmy Graham has the pedigree, has the experience in the background, and has yet to have that, you know, defining game in Green Bay where he puts up those numbers and makes a, you know, changes the, the status of that game. So, I'm putting a lot of pressure on Jimmy Graham at the tight end position to not just be the the bailout on third down for Aaron Rodgers, but to be an integral part of that offense and attack those aggressive Cowboys linebackers who may be over-aggressive, and that's the way you go after them, is taking that spot where they should be in the field and getting to the tight end with that. And that's all on Jimmy Graham who's going to have to step up. And that's much easier said than done going against the best linebacking duo in the NFL with Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh. But the Cowboys, when you talk about their offense, they clearly missed Michael Gallup in Sunday night's loss in New Orleans. With uh, Marshawn Lattimore uh, taking Amari Cooper out of the game, there was nobody else for Dak Prescott to turn to uh, outside of Coop in the passing game. And now you got that stingy Packers secondary coming to town with Jair Alexander. So which of their pass catchers outside of Amari Cooper needs to step, step up the most? Yeah, and I, I'm going to go to, you know, somebody that should be plenty motivated in this game, and that's former Packer Randall Cobb. Cobb is the next up 
I mean, you know, Tavon Austin is a gimmick. He's not going to get more than five or ten snaps out there. Um, without Michael Gallup, that offense looked lost. Uh, Devin Smith just is not a viable replacement there for Michael Gallup. And so all eyes are going to Randall Cobb. You've got to play a bigger part in this game, and you should have that motivation going up against Green Bay. Most definitely. And now let's talk about our game-deciding matchups. And I could think of three matchups that could decide this game one way or another. I just alluded to Amari Cooper against Jair Alexander. Amari Cooper, uh, you're a great player, but uh, Marshawn Lattimore shut you down. And uh, you have an equally tough test, if not a tougher test, with Jair Alexander this Sunday. So you're going to have to win even more of your routes. But you got Preston and Zedarius Smith going up against Cameron Fleming, who will likely start in place of the injured Tyron Smith, who is unlikely to be available this Sunday with that mild high ankle sprain. And Kenny Clark, the Packers' run defense has been absolutely atrocious uh, recently. So uh, he is going to have to dominate against Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, and that Cowboys interior offensive line. Those three matchups, I think, are the most pivotal. Can you think of any more? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to look at flip this around, and that uh, Green Bay offensive line, David Bakhtari, Brian Balaga on the outside, you're looking at uh, Dallas with Demarcus Lawrence and somebody who's been really playing well, especially the last week or two, and that's Robert Quinn, who the Cowboys brought over, got from Miami as part of that Miami fire sale, and Robert Quinn with that speed rush coming from one edge and Demarcus Lawrence on the other, I mean, that's a big headache for a lot of offensive lines. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on the Packers because they've got to keep Aaron Rodgers upright if they're going to have a chance to win against Dallas. Indeed. And who do you have coming out with a victory Sunday at Jerry World? I think it's evenly matched. I think it's going to be a lot less scoring than we expect in this game. So I'm going to say it's going to go to overtime and I'm going to give the flip of the coin to the home team and say Dallas. 16 to 13 over the pack. I agree that it's going to be much more low scoring than expected because the Cowboys have a phenomenal defense at the Packers defense, although with some uh, suspect against the run, they are a very young and up and coming talented group. But I think uh, with Zeke Elliott now, um, their enemy this week, uh, I think that's going to be a little too much for them to handle. It's going to be a very close, lower score game than anticipated, but the Cowboys eke it out on the ground with Zeke, 21-17. to 17. And now it's time for our fantasy football segment of our program, and unfortunately we don't have any team to set my lineup for, and uh, if you want to have your fantasy team profiled on next week's episode, please send me a, a screenshot of your team and the scoring format, whether PPR, half-point PPR, full-point PPR, or non-PPR, and we will preview it for our Set My Lineup segment next week. And we play a game called Waiver Wire, Gem or Garbage, in which we talk about some of the hottest items on the Waiver Wire, starting with Cortland Sutton of the Denver Broncos, who's quietly had a breakout second year. Yeah, I, I think you have to look at him as a gem. They're going to have to pass the ball in Denver. Joe Flacco is, is going to be responsible for moving that football. You just can't give it to Philip Lindsay 30 times a game. And, and he's really had a breakout season, as you've alluded to. Uh, it's a step in the right direction for a young receiver. And I'd be definitely say he's a potential gem, somebody whose role should just keep growing as the season goes on. 
Uh, your man, Steely Dan, has this guy coming back from suspension, Golden Tate. Waiver wire gem or waiver wire garbage? Oh, if he's in your waiver wire, I'd be grabbing him. Uh, Golden Tate is an established receiver. He can run the entire route tree. He knows every little trick in the book on how to get open. Steely Dan is going to fall in love with Golden Tate here in the last 12 games of the season. So he is a definite gem. Oh, they are going to be reeling in the years most definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And now uh, we go to Kansas City where there is a a Williams at running back, but it's not the Williams we expected. It is Daryl Williams, their second-year undrafted free agent from LSU who's quietly been getting a lot of work lately. Daryl Williams, waiver wire gem or waiver wire garbage? You know, um, I, I want to put him as a gem. I, I, he's been impressive as getting the opportunity, but I think the healthier that LaShawn McCoy gets, um, you know, and, and he's been bouncing back and forth with that hamstring the last two weeks. Uh, as long as LaShawn McCoy is healthy, Mahomes is going to insist that he's on the field. Uh, McCoy's averaging over five yards a rush. We know how he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, so for Darrell Williams, I think he's just a handcuff to McCoy at this point. So I'll go, much as I hate to say it, garbage. This guy comes back from suspension next week, and hopefully his quarterback will too. Jets tight end Chris Herndon. Waiver wire gem or waiver wire garbage? Oh, he's definitely a waiver wire gem. If you if if your league's sleeping on Herndon, you have to scoop him up. He it was Sam Darnold's best friend last year, and as you alluded to, with Darnold looking like he's going to be back, um, you know, very soon. I think there is a chance that um, you know they'll be reunited, and it'll be feeling so good, just like last year. So Herndon automatically becomes the Jets' number one receiver as the tight end there. Um, with Darnold in the game and easily a gem to pick up in free agency. You said it, Hal, and now let's predict the rest of these Week 5 games. And last Thursday night, we had a very good game between the Eagles and Packers, and we probably have another good game on our hands this Thursday as the Rams and Seahawks battle it out in Seattle for a share of first place in the NFC West. And the Rams... uh, they were exposed against the Buccaneers last week. By the way, that was my upset special last week. So, uh, the the Rams. This game is going to be very, very close. But Jared Goff, he just isn't playing good football right now. And you got Russell Wilson on the other side. And plus, Russell Wilson is at home. This game is going to be very close. It's a divisional game for a share of first place. But I really love the way the Seahawks are playing right now. Jadeveon Cloudy last week with that pick six. Uh, and you also have those amazing young wide receivers in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and that uh, running game in Seattle. I think the Seahawks running game takes it to the Rams and shortens the game, and the Seahawks pull off a relatively high-scoring affair, 27-24. to 24. Uh, I'm with you on that. I think it's even going to be higher scoring than that, but it is going to be close, and I do have the Seahawks coming out on top, 34-31. to 31. I just hope for Jared Goff's uh, right shoulder, There's no 68 pass attempts like there was last week by the Rams. Oh, yes, and with Todd Gurley's arthritic knee a big concern, uh, the Rams are going to have to find that running game very soon or else they could be on the outside looking in in that division. 
uh, Steak Bowl with the winless Cardinals traveling to Cincinnati to face the winless Bengals. Oh, this is a, a coin flip. And even worse, uh, John Ross uh, is expected to miss a month as he uh, suffered an injury last night, as uh, Mike Garofolo of NFL Network just uh, reported. Uh, this game is seriously a tough one to pick, man. It could seriously go either way. This is These are two teams that are likely going to be picking in the top five of the 2020 NFL Draft. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury's offense, uh, welcome to the NFL, Cliff. Uh, you're, you're starting to learn that you're going to have to make a lot of adjustments to make your scheme work at this level. And I actually am going to go with the Bengals in this game. As badly as they played against the Steelers last night, they had some pretty admirable efforts in Buffalo and... Uh, Week one at Seattle. Uh, I like the, the direction Zach Taylor has his team headed in. Yes, the roster isn't in good shape, and they're going to have to uh, uh, embark on a full-scale rebuild after this season. But I like the way Zach Taylor has these guys playing right now. It's going to be ugly and low-scoring, but I have the Bengals eking out a 19-17 to victory over the Cardinals. Yeah, I think the expectations were raised in Arizona after that first half, uh, that second half against the Lions where they came storming back for the tie. But um, I, again, this is one of those games where, where you would refer to it as the toilet bowl for the week. Uh, if it was a bowl game, I'm going to give it to Arizona just as the flip of the coin goes with the road team taking it 20 to 17 over the Bengals. Yeah, like I said, this was pretty much a coin toss. The Ravens travel to Pittsburgh to take out the Steelers, and what is with this Ravens defense? Yeah, this, you know, I mean, we we talked about it at the beginning of the year. You know, there was, there was a lot of movement and, you know, replacement, players leaving and free agency, uh, a lot of turnover, but you you kind of expect Don Wink Martindale to be able to to figure it out here and get this defense back on track. And you're looking at a, a Ravens defense, which is in the bottom third and points allowed, yards allowed. It, it it seems like it's alternate reality world here. So whew, I, I don't know what's going on with that defense. And Pittsburgh's offense, you know, kind of had that nice game against Cincinnati that kind of resets and, and gets, you ba- uh, uh, gets you back on the right track there. Um, I think I'm going to lean towards Pittsburgh in this game and uh, say young Mason Rudolph pulls this one off over the Ravens and and throws that uh, AFC North into chaos and they knock the Ravens off and Pittsburgh wins it 21-16. to We're simpatico on this one, my friend. There's our simpatico alert. I think the Steelers do win this game. I really like their defense now with Mika Fitzpatrick in the fold. Uh, The the Ravens, yes, uh, their offensive line is good, but Lamar Jackson, uh, he's having his growing pains right now. And I really like the Steelers' defense at home. And I love like Mason Rudolph and that running game with uh, James Conner and Jalen Samuels to, to get on track against the Ravens. The Steelers are going to do to the Ravens what Nick Chubb did to them uh, last week with that running game. It's going to be a much closer, low-scoring game. But that Steelers' running game is able to eke out a 20-16 to victory in Pittsburgh. And we have the Jaguars and the Fu Manchu traveling to Carolina to face Kyle Allen and the Carolina Panthers. Kyle Allen's been playing some very good football for them. Yeah, he has been impressive at it. You know, it, it almost looks like, you know, that offense functions a little smoother 
Um, with Kyle Allen there instead of Cam Newton, as blasphemy as it is to say about Newton, who run that offense for so long in Carolina. But Kyle Allen's a, a breath of fresh air. He's a he's a decisive quarterback back there. He's not holding the ball, and he's not afraid to move on, and uh, he's not forcing those passes like uh, Cam Newton has always been doing his entire career. So. Uh, I'm really liking the direction of that Carolina offense right now. Oh, same here. And those weapons with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel and obviously my offensive player of the year at the quarter pole, Christian McCaffrey, the the Panthers, they have something cooking there. And the Jaguars, uh, although it is tempting to not pick against the Fu Manchu, I'm going to have to pick against them this week because this Jaguars defense just isn't playing as good as they should right now. Uh, yes, they have a great front, but with the Jalen Ramsey uh, wanting to be traded and the standoff isn't any, any time soon, that secondary is suspect. And if they were grilled by Flacco and the Broncos through a, a, almost a full half of football, just imagine what these Panthers, a much better team, are going to do to them. I think it'll be close, but I have the Panthers pulling out a 24-20 to victory over the Jaguars. Uh, I'm pretty close to that with you as well. I think this game is going to end up a little more high scoring than we expected, but I think Carolina is going to have a pretty easy day of it and pull out the 30 to 20 win over the Jaguars. And another AFC South, NFC South matchup, the Atlanta Falcons traveling to Houston to take on the Texans. And man, as I said, Dan Quinn is on the hot seat for a reason because the Atlanta Falcons are playing absolutely horrendous football right now. And they absolutely got crushed at home uh, against Tennessee. Heck, they are just a dropped pass away from being 0-4. That's how bad this Falcons team is right now. And the Texans, they had an off day offensively against the uh, Carolina Panthers. But after the game, Deshaun Watson like stayed several hours on the field going over some stuff with the, their quarterback's coach. I think uh, he responds in excellent fashion. Uh, this Falcons defense, Marcus Mariota looked like freaking Johnny Unitas against them for crying out loud. <laughs> and and now you go against Deshaun Watson. That this should be a rather easy win for the Texans. I'm giving it to the Texans, 31 to 20. Yeah, I, I'm pretty close to you on on that number as well. Um, I just don't see Atlanta being able to to do anything on both sides of the ball. It's been four weeks. We're, we're still waiting to see them do something, anything at some point here. I've got Houston winning it quite handily, 27 to 16. This is going to be a great game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Red Hot Jameis Winston travel to New Orleans to take on the Saints and that defense that absolutely stymied that Cowboys attack on Sunday night. What a brilliant game plan that was by Dennis Allen. But uh, as great as that Saints defensive performance was on Sunday, they're going to need a lot more from Teddy Bridgewater uh, this week. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I've been, um, you know, they he's the highest paid backup quarterback for a reason, just for this reason, to be able to step in and make an impact. And he's made an impact. It just hasn't been in the right way that you would expect from him. He's had very pedestrian numbers. Uh, you know, seems to struggle to get the ball into the hands of the playmakers at times. I, you know, I was watching that game and I'm going, yeah, number 13's on the field. Michael Thomas is there somewhere. Find him, find him. It, it took him far too long in that game to start targeting him. 
Um, you know, Michael Thomas is one of those receivers that he's always open. He, he can be covered. You can still throw the ball to him. He's going to get it. There's no doubt about that. And uh, Bridgewater just, you know, I mean, you can just see it in the offense where Michael Thomas consistently double-digit targets with Drew Brees at quarterback and has yet to uh, have that double-digit target with Teddy Bridgewater there. So they've got to get in step, and I think that's a big part of that offense struggling is when you have the best, you know, arguably one of the best receivers in the NFL had 125 receptions last year. You've got to get the ball in his hands consistently. Can't guard Mike. His Twitter handle, don't lie. You're going to have to target Mike a lot this week, Teddy Bridgewater, in order to stand a chance at winning. I think this game is going to be a close, hard-fought game throughout most of the game, but I actually have the red-hot Tampa Bay Buccaneers pulling away at the end. It's going to be relatively low-scoring and defensive-centric throughout three quarters, but Jameis turns around in the fourth quarter and pulls the Bucs away to a 24-13 victory in New Orleans. Ooh, that is a bold prediction there, David. I wish I could go along with you, but um, I think uh, that New Orleans defense, a banged-up defense that did such a bang-up job against that high-flying Cowboys offense, I, I just can't pick against them right now. I think they'll figure it out enough on offense, whether it's Alvin Kamara carrying the load or Bridgewater figuring out Michael Thomas is on his team. Um, and I'm going to give it to New Orleans, 24 to 17. And if you like defense, this is the game for you. That Buffalo Bills defense traveling to Music City to take on that Tennessee Titans defense. And uh, Josh Allen isn't playing in this game. Matt Barkley will likely be starting as Josh Allen recovers from that uh, concussion he suffered against the uh, New England Patriots. Uh, this Bills defense, the way they play Tom Brady, they play Tom Brady better than most defenses have in the past, I don't know, six, seven years for crying out loud. <laughs> Without a doubt there, David. I mean, I've been talking about this Buffalo defense all year, all last year as well. I love this defense. It's strong at all three levels. Um, you know, they came out, this was their Super Bowl in Western New York against the Patriots, and that, you know, the offense didn't come to play in Buffalo, but that defense sure came to play. And, uh, you know, I, I brought it up last year. The same thing happened when New England uh, went up to uh, Orchard Park as well, and Tom Brady ran into that buzzsaw defense, and the Patriots had to gut out a win behind Tony Michelle in the running game. And with the offensive line problems, they didn't have it, and that Buffalo defense looked mighty, mighty impressive. So that team is here to stay based entirely on that defense yes and Marcus Mariota has looked excellent in two games and absolute yuck in the other two games and I just don't trust Marcus Mariota against this Bills defense it's going to be ugly low scoring just like their meeting was last year when Buffalo pulled out a 13 to 12 victory in Orchard Park it's going to be a very similar game uh, but I just see it as this Matt Barkley is just going to take care of the football and not make any mistakes while the Bills force Marcus Mariota into several costly mistakes that cost the Titans a game at home against the Bills in a field goal fest 12-9 to in favor of Buffalo. You know, I think if there's one way you're going to beat Buffalo is you need a big back, a strong offensive line, and just run behind that big back and power that game. And Derrick Henry in Tennessee might be one of those teams 
that are going to be able to do that. Uh, and if that can open up a little play action passing for Mariota, it should give them just enough to win this game. I have it low scoring. I think there's only going to be one touchdown scored in the game, but I have Tennessee edging out Buffalo 13 to nine. Oh, that is a very, very fair prediction, Hal. And these next two games are pretty much locks in my book. The Jets at the Eagles. Uh, yes, I understand there's a chance Sam Darnold plays, but I think it's more like than not that the that the Jets don't rush him back too soon from, from Mono to make sure his spleen is at 100% before he plays. He's the future of your franchise. Protect him at all costs. Keep the big picture open, New York Jets. And the Philadelphia Eagles coming off a much-needed victory against the um, – the Green Bay Packers last Thursday night, and they get uh, Deshaun Jackson back this game, and the Jets, uh, that secondary, that crappy Greg Williams coach secondary, oh God, Greg Williams, he shouldn't be coaching in the NFL <laughs> a- a- anymore, for crying out loud. What a pathetic choice the Jets made, to, not just head coach, but defensive coordinator, for crying out loud. Uh, this coaching staff, I think, could very well be what had done in Gang Green, and the Eagles should have no problem winning this game. Yes, the Eagles have secondary concerns of their own, but if they're facing Luke Falk, no chance. The Philadelphia Eagles and the Mercedes Wentz pull out a 27-13 victory at home over the Jets. Yeah, I have that as an easy victory as well, and I've got it. Um, if the Jets, uh, if Darnold isn't playing, it's 31-3. to If he is playing, it's 31-10. to So either <laughs> way, <laughs> Philadelphia takes the point, yeah. And another easy lock, the New England Patriots traveling to the nation's capital to take out the Redskins, who rushed Dwayne Haskins into action quite a bit too soon. And the Patriots, uh, they haven't allowed a passing touchdown in their first four games this season. They don't allow another passing touchdown in this game either. Uh, the New England Patriots walk all over the Washington Redskins 33-10. to I think you're giving the Redskins a lot of credit there on the offense to get 10 points there, David. (laughs) I might Um, be. I think you're going to see a a very motivated New England squad. Uh, Even though they won against Buffalo, I'm sure they're right now in their practice facility, and Bill Belichick is red in the face screaming at that offense, um, which struggled mightily against that great Bills defense. But I think you'll see New England come out and walk all over Washington and that proud defense that uh, just doesn't seem to give up many points, I don't think Washington will get any. I've got it 27 to nothing, a New England whitewashing of Washington. Yeah, that's pretty much everybody's lock this week. And the Minnesota Vikings and the struggling Kirk Cousins traveled to MetLife Stadium to take out our man Steely Dan and his Giants. And if there is an opportunity for this Vikings passing game to get back on track, it's this week because, yeah, last week was good, but it was against a Terry McLaurin-less Redskins passing game with Case Keenum and the inexperienced, immature, uh, in terms of playing Dwayne Haskins. Uh, the, this Giants pass defense is not good. Vikings, you have to get Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen on track this friggin' week. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and even this Giants offense, you know, uh, fantasy-wise, Wayne Gallman got a bunch of points, um, you know, piling up some easy yards and a couple of touchdowns there as well. That's not going to be available every week against some of these better offenses as well. And, uh, yeah, as you talked about that, that Giants secondary, oh, my gosh, you know, how would you like to be paying Janoris Jenkins all that money for nothing? Oh, no, thank you. Yes, uh, 
I think uh, this week is going to be a growing pains week for Steely Dan. The Vikings still have a very, very good defense. uh, And I think the Vikings come away with a 23-10 victory over the Giants. I'm going to sound that simpatico alert with you there, David. Beep, 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 beep. I've got it Minnesota 27-10 to 10 over the Giants. I think this is one of those road trips where the team gets angry and bonds together, and we see Minnesota come out firing on all cylinders. And our man Steely Dad will get hit by the black cow that is the Vikings defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see it. Yeah, that big black cow is uh, coming to teach our man Steely Dad a little <laughs> bit of a welcome to the NFL lesson. The Chicago Bears and Khalil Mack travel to London to take on Khalil Mack's former team, the Raiders. If I had an upset special this week, I would lead towards the Raiders, given how they played last week, but... I just can't go against this Bears defense right now. Uh, with Chase Daniel at the helm, uh, it's going to or even with Trubisky, it would have been an ugly, low-scoring game. But I trust the Bears defense to make enough plays to escape with a 17-13 victory in London over the Raiders. You know, David, every year in London, there's one of those games, and something strange happens. It, it used to be Blake Bortles putting up insane numbers for Jacksonville every year. Um, I'm going with the upset special here. I think Oakland is going to find a, a crazy way. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the turf there in London or what it's going to be, but something crazy is going to happen, and it's going to be Oakland over the Bears, 17-14. to 14. Uh, Almost similar score, but opposite result. But I could very well see that happen. Like I said, I was very close to picking the Raiders, but I just can't go against this Bears defense and what will likely be a motivated Khalil Mack going against his former team. And my favorite team, the Denver Broncos, uh, traveling to L.A. to take out the Chargers. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Chargers, 30. Broncos, 10. How? Fight out in bowl predictions. You know, I... I looked at this game, David, and I almost went up to special. I said if this was in Denver right now this week, I might lean towards those Broncos there because, you know, the the, the Chargers are the Chargers. You know, they, they beat the Colts in overtime. They lost to the Lions. They lost to the Texans. Uh, the Dolphins were right in that game at halftime, and the Chargers keep doing Charger things every year that seem to be shooting themselves in the foot. And for a team with all this talent, they let teams hang around uh, despite all those impact players on both sides of the ball. Um, I'll say Denver is going to give it a good fight, and it might be a close one. I Heck, I'll even say it's going to overtime, but the Chargers will pull it out 23-20. to Sunday night at Arrowhead, the Indianapolis Colts traveled to KC to face the Chiefs. Uh, the Colts, uh, they have a lot of promising young pieces on this team. It's a very, very good roster, but uh, they're still struggling to find consistency. They they might get it uh, in week six, but they're not going to get it against Patrick Mahomes this week. Uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs win this game 34-23. to Yeah, I mean, the Colts are kind of banged up on, on both sides of the ball as well. Darius Leonard, T.Y. Hilton, uh, there's injuries in the secondary as well. Uh, it's just going to be too much. Um, I'm going to get to this game a little bit more as well in the bold prediction, but I'll, I'll, I'll say Kansas City's going to win, and I'll give you the score in my bold prediction. 
We finally have a game on Monday Night Football this week, a potentially great game between Baker Mayfield and the Browns traveling to Santa Clara to take out Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers. But I think this game is going to be a, lo- a pretty low-scoring defensive game because when you look at the offensive lines of both teams, the obviously the Browns offensive line, one of the bottom five in the league, and the 49ers offensive line, especially minus Joe Staley, going up against the defensive fronts of Cleveland and San Francisco, respectively, they're going to have a hard time blocking these guys all night long. Uh, but I, uh, Miles Garrett and Nick Bosa are going to eat in this game. There's no doubt about that. But it's going to be a very similar game to that 49ers-Steelers game a couple weeks ago. You're going to see a lot of turnovers back and forth. But I, it's going to be a close game. But... At the end of the day, I just trust this 49ers defense a little bit more than the Browns to make a a decisive play that swigs the game, uh, especially with the horrendous tackles those Browns have. So the 49ers win, but it's going to be pretty low scoring, more low scoring than people think. Let's just say 18 to 15. Woo! You know, I'm with you on this. I I don't think it's going to be a track meet. Um, for sure. I think Cleveland's going to be able to score a few points. I think San Francisco is going to put up even more. Um, this offense has been a very, very impressive. Um, you know, I, I really like the, the direction of Shanahan has Jimmy Garoppolo's, uh, playing very well. As long as he's taking care of the football, uh, they're in great shape. I see, a little bit higher scoring, but I still see San Francisco taking it 28-24 to 24 over the Browns. And now we move on to our bowl predictions for week number five, and I will go first. You saw what Leonard Fournette did against the Broncos last week, running for 225 yards. Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon run for a combined 350 rushing yards against the Broncos. Ooh. <laughs> well, I hope Eckler still keeps putting up the numbers and getting in the end zone because my fantasy teams have been riding him all year. Uh, one of mine has too. Half of the draft. Oh, so you know, I am I am rooting for your bold prediction, rooting rooting hard for it, David. Let me tell you. Oh, and I want that top three pick for the Broncos, so I'm kind of there with you too. <laughs> <laughs> Get that quarterback for sure. Um, my bold prediction goes back to Indianapolis at Kansas City, that Sunday night game. Um, I, as I said, I don't think Cleveland and San Francisco is going to be a, a track meet. I think this game has the potential to shake up to be a track meet here. I'm looking at Jacoby Brissett coming out, throwing for four touchdown passes, heck, running for a couple of them, six total touchdowns to Jacoby Brissett. And he gets matched by Patrick Mahomes, who throws for six touchdowns. And Kansas City puts up a 50-burger in a 55-45 to win over Indianapolis with 100 points scored in that game. Oh, that is a bold prediction, my friend. And last but not least, our challenge flags. Why don't you go first, my friend? What is your challenge flag? My challenge flag goes out to Denver. Cincinnati, the Jets, the Redskins, Arizona. We've got five teams with, uh, and Miami Dolphins, but they're not going to win anything. But six teams with no wins 
after four weeks of the season. We've only got three undefeated teams, but we've got double that of the teams who haven't found the W yet. So for all six of those teams, the clock is ticking. But you can, you're not winning anything. You're not making the playoffs more than likely, but you can still get too respectable and don't give up on this season. My challenge flag, all of those teams, keep bringing it, keep playing hard week after week and play for pride in these last three quarters of the season. That is a very good challenge flag, and my challenge flag goes to one of those teams, specifically its general manager, the Broncos and John Elway. All right, John Elway, it is time to acknowledge the painful fact that the Broncos are rebuilding. And you, it just can't be any rebuild. It has to be a reconstructive surgery rebuild, not a, a cutting corners uh, patch rebuild. Be patient, John Elway. You can't cut any more quarters by bringing in overpriced veterans and playing them ahead of young talent. Stick with Vic Fangio for at least two more seasons because most of this mess is on you, not on him. And continue to focus on a thing that you've actually been pretty good at these last two years, rebuilding through the draft. Just you have th three more draft classes to get this team back in contention, which hopefully includes your quarterback of the future. I think that's a great point. Denver, start off at send Emmanuel Sanders to the Patriots. They need wide receivers. They'll give you all the draft picks you want for him. Oh, that would be a great deal for both sides, Hal. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can, you can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. You can catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com or if you're a Patriots fan, MusketFire.com. And that's it for today here on Sports Crush. But we'll be back next week to preview week six of the 2019 NFL season and a lot more content as well, so stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at SportsCrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash SportsCrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome. <laughs>